all those on the platform. Uh, if you would open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. Now this sermon has actually sat in a folder for six months or so. And I had uh, intentions of preaching it at different times and just for whatever reason got deterred to other things. And so uh, when Pastor Stevens mentioned that he was... Uh, going to be praying for the youth, and he wasn't sure whether to do it on Sunday morning or Sunday night, um, but he was waiting to see if he would get inspired on something where he could fold that in. Um, I was at a store when I rem- remembered this sermon, and immediately realized that that's what needs to be preached, and I told him, look, I got a sermon that we can do this on, and he was all for it, so, um, so this is what this is all about, and uh, I've had the opportunity um, while I've been here um, in '09, when we got here and shortly after, we began to work with the uh, college-age kids in the church for about a two-year segment. And it was a real high point of a lot of the uh, kids in, in the, the church that were in school. So we thought we would try to take advantage of that and bring an impartation. Uh, so for a two-year period, worked with a lot of them that now have gone on to get married since. And then... Um, we took the youth about four years ago, the 13 to 19-year-olds, worked with them diligently for several years. So we have quite a connection. So you have to understand anything that I preach and say tonight is backed with relationship. It isn't just an attempt to you know, bring this observation and try to expose people, uh, but it's done in relationship and it's done with a desire to see God's destiny a birth in our young people, so that I want you to keep that in mind as we go. So there was a kid's story um, about an old man, and there were these mountains that were uh, bugging him. They were in his way. He, he could foresee uh, new paths that he could produce if he could rid himself of these mountains. So he got his shovel, and uh, he went to the foot of the mountain and began to dig. And there was a, another old man that came along and said, you're a foolish old man. What are you doing? I'm removing these mountains. And he gives his reasons why. And he says, you'll never remove these mountains in all your life. What do you This is crazy. Yeah. But if I can get my children to take on and then their children and generations to come, we'll move these mountains. You're a foolish old man. You could dig for generations to come. You'll never remove these mountains. And the story tells that one day God came And he sent angels that hoisted those mountains and took them away on their backs. Now, what's the moral of the story? It sounds like a dumb story, doesn't it? Yeah, but but it was used. uh, And I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. He was the emperor of China. I'm going to call it Su Tung or Su Sung. I'm not sure. But but he used this story uh, to illustrate how he was going to rid... China, the two mountains of what were called federalism and imperialism in his quest towards extreme communism, anything that stood in the way of this. And so he saw these two things as uh, mountains that must be removed. And so he attacked these mountains with all the determination of the foolish old man. And he used this story to tell is why I tell the story of what he was going to do. And now a lot of blood is on his hands as a result of this. But he became concerned, this emperor of China became concerned that his vision and ambitions would only come true 
if his sons kept digging away at those mountains. But the thought hit him, what if the next generation who never experienced the revolution lost its zeal for the job? So in order to eliminate any possibility of any anti-revolutionary, reactionary, revisionist cliques of any sort, he determined to create a culture in which every generation will have first-hand experience in revolution so that it would never be lost and the zeal for it would never be lost. Now, by using this man as an example, we're no... In no way condoning any of his actions. We acknowledge them as very uh, demonically inspired philosophies. But at the same time, this gives us keen insight into human nature regarding a pattern that is referred to as the second generation syndrome. Now, there's a reality that we face when it comes to the heritage and lineage of what we are associated with in the kingdom of God. The second generation, and primarily what this will refer to, is our children. The children of us who were saved early and, uh, and have now come to their own. And even uh, if you've had them later in life, but our children. And, and the second generation has a natural tendency, and this is historically true, to accept the status quo and lose the vision of the first generation. And too often the experience of the second generation is a second-hand experience. Now, I read this quote. Church history is filled with examples where the parents' fervor for Jesus becomes the children's formalism and the grandchildren's apathy. Now, let me say that in maybe a simpler term. Parents who were converted and saw revival and entered into consecration, it doesn't become embraced just naturally by their children. But the result is the children tend, this is their tendency, it doesn't mean every one of them does it, is that they follow and perform religious duties without a powerful encounter with God. They're simply doing what they see and it becomes more external than it does internal. And it becomes the grandchildren's curse. And here, here's where you need to hear me. If, you're, uh, if, if your parents were saved radically and you're the child of that parent, even if you're in your 20s already, that if, if you're not on fire for God, this will be your children's curse often. Because you'll start having kids and your kids, it will be apathy. In other words, they won't even try to put up the front or give the idea they care because they won't. So you got to take this serious. So I want to preach on the second generation syndrome. And, and I want to uh, look at a, a portion, a very sobering portion out of Judges 2, beginning in verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. They buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timrah-Hiris, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gosh. 
When all the children had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. So I want to preach on the second generation syndrome. And I want to first identify the breakdown. Now, there's a twofold problem that is associated with this topic tonight. The first is that there are kids that have been born into Christianity or associated with Christianity because of a parent getting converted, but they themselves have not been converted. And the other side of the problem is the problem of parents that have lost their fire or zeal in the formative years of their children. And it hinders impartation. Now, we all talk about, and if you've ever read about the World War II generation, they, they were coined the greatest generation, and for good reason. There was so much that was linked to them that has made America the amazing nation uh, that it is today, or at least has been up to this point. And, and out of this, this greatest generation, it was those that were born in the Great Depression era of the 30s and then experienced a world war. Many, both men and women, participated in that war in some way or another. And these experiences developed some deep values and appreciation and, and caused them to be a very powerful generation of young adults and even into their Later years. Now, this great generation who is part of making America great also made a horrible blunder when it came to their kids. Because they pampered their children in order to keep them from having a hard life that they had. But they gave them far too much and challenged them far too little. And what this produced was the exact opposite of what they were. And all they stood for and all that they paid a price for. And here's the irony of it. Here are these parents that paid this amazing price that, that showed these, these values into the American ideology for their children to come out of it and become the war protesters and flag burners that they became. And that everything that their parents produced, they have undone in an entire generation, speaking of values and morals, have turned it upside down. The second generation. They became what they call the baby boomers. All the values they stood for, their kids tread upon in profanity and produce much of the mess we're dealing with today. Now, in our text, the children have possessed the land that their parents had forfeited due to their unbelief. Now, the problem is that those kids didn't really experience the hardships of Egypt. It doesn't mean that none of them knew Egypt. Some of them came from Egypt at a very, very young age. Many were born in the wilderness. But it's, it's safe to say that these children did not experience the hardships of Egypt and the bondage and therefore did not have the reference point of that great deliverance firsthand that their parents had, 
The children did not know the cruel bondage. Although you would think that the testimony alone would be enough. I hear some of your parents testify and I say to you, uh, you ought to thank God they're saved. Can you imagine being born into the insanity that your parents testify about? And they did. They depended upon the testimony of their parents, but they were not grateful for the deliverance as their parents were. There's an old comic called Pogo, if you were any of those. I, I never got into comics. I, it's just a weird sense of humor you got to have. To, but but you get, some of you have it. And you, you can laugh at something. I look over your shoulder. What are you laughing at? This is hilarious. I look. I'm like, okay. But anyway, Pogo. And Pogo and his friends had marched off to battle in the swamp. And Pogo returns with a sardonic or mocking report. He says, we have met the enemy. And he is us. Now, how true is that? That the greatest battle we fight is with ourselves. As illustrated in our text, Israel failed to defeat their own worst instincts. Now, the second generation failed to heed the warnings and the instruction of Joshua. And once they were left to themselves in order to lead and obey God, they horribly failed. And almost immediately, that, that's the, how colossal this failure was. As long as Joshua was there and, and some of the elders were there, uh, he was able to keep them on track. Uh, and, and so the Bible says, as it records for us this testimony of that generation, that when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. They didn't stand with the world. And they bowed down to them and therefore provoked the Lord to anger. So, so here is our great fear. When you think we're always harping on this, this is our fear. Okay, what we have is generational. And it must be passed on and it must be kept going. As Pastor is talking in our serious men on leadership, this must be in place. And here's our fear that if we cannot reach our children, and if our children do not serve God with the same vision and the sacrifice that we have, another generation will rise that does not know God and they will do evil and forfeit all that's passed on to them. It must be every parent's strong desire to see their children wholly follow the Lord. And what we're dealing with in the will of God has a generational element to it. This is what we're talking about. And it's great that our kids are more accomplished than us at their age. And it's true for most of them. This is something good that has come out of our experience. But it's not good if they're excelling secularly, but are not wholly following the God. Are you hearing me? You know, my children's secular accomplishments mean very little to me if they're forfeiting their destiny and usefulness to God in order to attain it. It means very little to me. That may sound harsh to you and crass, but this is a generational element to it that we need to take very seriously in what we're doing for God. I now have a grandchild to influence and impact while he's young in hopes that he will gain 
a strong appetite for God and for God's purposes as he will see me pray every day and read the word and put God first and, and put the will of God first. So let's talk then about the second generation syndrome. Because we have a revealing and defining statement in our text in verse 10. There arose another generation after who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. So this cries out with a question like, how did they fail? How could they fail? What produced this end result when their parents and leaders had seen and experienced so much of God's hand of blessing? The, the issue is clearly stated. They did not know the Lord. This is not a reference to intellectual ignorance. They were not uninformed of the events of their parents and all that God had done. Because in those days, uh, oral tradition was very, very strong. And the passing on of these, uh, it was constant. It was, it was something they sat around and talked about often. And, and remember the memorials uh, that God had them set at various places. And they were to remind them when they came upon them and their children and their grandchildren would ask, what are these about? They would tell the story behind them. So it wasn't a matter of intellectual ignorance or uninformed. Uh, theologically, they had a great deal of information about God, just like Kids that are born into the congregation at an early age brought in have a lot of information about God. And what they had not seen with their eyes, they had heard with their ears. So it was not facts that they lacked. And while they knew about God, they knew about his deeds. They themselves did not know God. And this is the issue we're dealing with. This describes many of our young people and even young adults today. While they are religiously active, what is often lacking is any resemblance of a prayer life or a strong desire for his word. They feel very uncomfortable openly, openly worshiping. You don't hear them often talking to people about Jesus. And the one thing that I've really noticed and locked into, and you can have your opinion on it but but for me being around them as much as i had the one thing i rarely hear a lot i'm not saying all but a lot of them talking about is the will of god and the things they want to do for god i don't hear it a lot i don't hear it a lot they've embraced all that they know simply in formalism but not in spirit through a thriving relationship with jesus and i want to read you a quote Talking about that generation of Israelites, instead of being filled with wonder, the wonder and that God had reached into Egypt and delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh or being moved to praise God when they heard the history of Mount Sinai or Gilgal or Jericho or the Canaanite conquest. They simply yawned with boredom. Ah, oh, we've heard all that before. That sounds awfully familiar to me. The spiritual boredom that's associated often with the second generation. So here we come to the heart of the second generation syndrome. It has been defined 
and highlighted as lukewarmness, complacency, and apathy concerning the amazing biblical truths that we they have heard from their childhood. They have heard from their parents. They have heard from preachers and from teachers. And you get this great big yawn oftentimes. Or some diversion onto some other topic that's more familiar to them. And this ought to be alarming to every single one of us. The result is when the handoff was made from Joshua and the elders to them. So here's the handoff. Here's the moment of truth. Something diminished almost immediately until the children were then doing evil in the sight of God and no longer even trying to obey. You have to ask yourself, if you're not there, and I'm not putting this as a a blame. I'm just throwing this out there. We have to parent this. We have to do everything we can in our power during our time of influence to try to change this. If you're not in your child's life pushing them along, will they serve God? You know that. I don't. I don't. You're the one that lives with them. You know, the things that we were judging because of our conversion, we the parents, the things that we were judging because we were converted, the second generation is embracing. Now, what's wrong with that picture? And oftentimes it's thrown as our feet and eh, you're just traditionalists. And you just, no, 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 we're just saved. We're just born again. We were taken out of Egypt. We understand what the bondage was about. We understand the cruelty of it. And here's one of the greatest stumbling blocks we face when it comes to reaching today's youth. Now, if you pay attention, I'm not trying to be negative. Trust me, everything in here will end up in a positive that we're we're believing God for this generation. We have to. We don't have another choice. But listen to me, because one of the great stumbling blocks is right here. And if you're paying attention, you're going to notice something among our youth. Few conversions from the outside that come in and get established and on fire for God. Now, what was the, the, the main feature of what God did in our lives when we got saved as parents? But it produced radical conversions of other young people that came in and got on fire with us. And what I see, and this is not a total negative, this is, there's a positive to this because this is the way it's supposed to work, that we're supposed to see another generation from within rise up. But, but what you see is you see a youth culture that's risen up within the church, but it's not a lot of conversions that are associated with it. And it has to do with the subculture that second generation develops in a congregation. And this is a, a big thing that we deal with in every congregation in our fellowship that now has been around long enough to produce a second and even a third generation. This is, this is a problem. It's a common problem throughout that we're dealing with. They develop these subcultures in a congregation And even more so now in the age of social media, where they develop these networks in which they can express their rebellion and backslidden hearts. And many times you never know they're doing it. 
And our youth is not growing by conversions, but simply by kids born into the church, which again is not in any way negative. And they come of age. And often when conversions do come in, they either become lukewarm or never make it because they get caught up in the subculture. It doesn't have an evangelistic thrust that it isn't talking about the things of God all the time, but it's just always in these little carnal things off doing stuff behind their parents' backs and, and, and finding different ways and different social media avenues. Uh, oh, and you'd be surprised at creativity. I know your parents are in, some of you are in absolute denial, uh, but, but by working in the situation, I can tell you right now, they find the most creative ways. I mean, you will take their phones away, and by a month from now, you'll find out that they found ways. This is what we're dealing with. Second generation syndrome. This church was built upon the conversions of youth. How many here were saved in this church in your youth? In your your youth. Adults now. You're an adult and you were saved in your youth. And I especially want to see hands of those that go way back. In your youth, early 20s and below. Okay, good portion. And a lot of it came simply from others that won you. There was that era of the early 90s after the initial thrust uh, uh, way back of the the early days of of Jefferson High School and just Burgess and some others. uh, And then the early 90s saw another uh, compelling thrust that brought in many of the ones that are here now uh, uh, that were also conversions. This church was built upon that. What we need is another youth movement. And as the kids of the congregation will start getting their hearts right with God and with their parents, that can happen. You'd be surprised how many of these kids have issues with your parents, your saved parents. That's your issue in a nutshell. You won't get it right, whatever your reasons are. So let me look at three things before I move on. Three factors that contribute to our youth failure. And I know I'm I'm painting a bit of a dim picture, uh, but there's a lot of hope and faith we have that we're going to project here in, uh, in a moment. The reason that we have so many ministries that invest in our kids. But three main factors that contribute to our youth's failure. Uh, the first would be that they are satisfied with the status quo. Now, many are not interested in pressing in and producing a move of God. Matter of fact, as Pastor said this morning, to a lot, destiny means absolutely nothing. They'll take things as they are and do nothing to improve them. Joshua leads them into the promised land. He helps them through the first few invasions. He gave them orders to take territory. But they left all these pockets of the enemy untouched. They never finished the job. They were satisfied with their current blessing and what was handed to them. Because at that point... Everything had been handed to them. They had paid zero price for anything. And for the majority of you that are especially still teenagers, and even in some of your early 20s, you haven't even begun to pay a price yet to purchase this thing. It's all been handed. 
And if we're not careful, you'll just be satisfied with that. It'll be fine. You'll just take it and never want to do anything more. One man said God did not plan for the experiences of the previous generations to be a diving board from which we go down, but rather to be a foundation on which we are to build. Everything that we present and represent as the older part of the congregation is meant to be the foundation on which you build and that we hope and we want you to build upon. And you cannot be satisfied with simply reliving and reproducing the past. God has far more and is looking for the youth to press in and get more of a move of God than we ever did. Satisfaction with the status quo. The second area that contributes to our youth fellows, they take blessing for granted and in that generation did not acknowledge God. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and remember, Deuteronomy was to this other generation. God did everything he could to reproduce as much as he could to give them some reference points. The whole splitting of the Jordan. The miracles he did. The, the restating of the Ten Commandments. The curses from the two mountains. All of this he did to try to establish and recreate as much as he could. But listen to what he says to them. So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that, you, that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things. So on the one hand, this blessing is not a bad thing. I'm not looking at this as if because, you know, you're riding in the blessing of your parents, that's some bad thing. But listen to what he says. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. Unless you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the houses of bondage. Now, listen to what he's talking to them as if they're the first generation. That brought you out of the land of Egypt. No, he brought their parents out of the land. And you ought to be totally great and you ought to be forever indebted to God that, that God saved your parents. That he radically drew them out of their sin because you are benefiting from that today. Something you had nothing to do with. And God graciously has blessed you with. But the problem is you take that blessing for granted and don't acknowledge God as the source. And the great danger is that God's blessing makes us more blessing-centered than God-centered. And too many of you were born into privilege and blessing that you did nothing for. You simply obtained it by virtue of your parents or grandparents and often don't have any value or appreciation for it. Just tread upon it. This has produced a generation that does not have a high level of motivation plays out in how you approach the things of God in ministry and in calling. The third factor that contributes to our youth's failure is they neglected the word of God. Now, this is painfully obvious as we read the judges. This is a generation in large part that peddles secondhand convictions. See, what we're looking to produce is not 
simply because we believe it, you believe it. No, the, the convictions that become your convictions. And this is hard fought here. This is, this is hard territory that I'm talking about. Because much of the second generation is simply peddling secondhand convictions. They're saying all the things, but it's not here. That's the reason why that they, they'll, they'll look at standards. It's just a challenge on how they can get away with as much as they can without getting caught. You know, that's the, the thing that has developed in the boot camp over the years, although it's tapered off as new kids have come in. But it, it pinnacled about, I don't know, six years, seven years ago. Uh, and it, it, it peaked out where there was a generation of church kids that, that their whole challenge in boot camp was how much can we smuggle in and get away with it. And it peaked out one year uh, when they smuggled in all sorts of paraphernalia of different times of Game Boys and different, I mean, everything. I don't even want to go into all they did uh, at that particular year. I remember it just, I, I was at that boot camp uh, and, and it was church kids. They were seeing how much can I get away with and not get caught. Peddling secondhand convictions. Neglecting the word of God for themselves. You know, the standards that we, the parents, cut our teeth on as disciples and as young people. That kept us in place. Many times become trampled on by today's young people. The standards are scoffed at and ridiculed by the carnal elements of young people. I've heard it. He's got a, a recent one, I'm not going to say what it was, of a couple of young people. They just scoff at the standards and, and we shouldn't have to live up to pastoral standards. And, 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 and it's the scoffing, this ridiculing by the carnal elements. And eventually, if you don't gain your own strong convictions from the word of God, you'll end up resenting the ones that have been passed on to you and given to you. You'll resent them. And let me, let me caution you as parents, when you're... When your kids go into rebellion mode and begin to spew all this out, the worst thing you can do is lessen those things for them. You have to understand what you're dealing with. You have to persevere. And there's a great lack among many of our young people when it comes to their personal pursuit of God's Word. You'd be surprised how many of them don't even try to bring a Bible or, or have it on their person to come to church or Bible studies or youth. And not just the lack of reading it, but the lack of obeying it and responding to it when it's preached. This produces kids that don't know the voice of God for themselves and don't allow their lives to be guided by His Word and by the Holy Spirit. And all of this produces the second generation syndrome. So I want to close with the measures that must be taken. Three things that we must realize and appropriate if we're going to see God move among our youth. First of those is we must have Joshua's. This is important. Because Joshua was a man that was responsive to the word of God. He had a very active faith. And the Bible is very clear here that Joshua's leadership made a powerful impact and carried these people into the will of God in verses Judges 2, verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days that the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. You know what that means to the elders of the congregation? You must still be leading. We must have Joshua's. If you think your best days are behind you, you're foolish. 
perhaps it's not in the same capacity. We've aged. Our stamina is down. But we have so much to still offer in leadership and oversight. But what must be at the forefront of the kingdom is the Joshua's of the church. Those that have an active faith. Those responsive to the word of God. Those that have the reference point. See, this is why the Bible was written and put into the canon form that we now have as a Bible in third century. Because the eyewitnesses had died off and the passing on had become diluted. And they were heresies and all manner of things. They said, we have to preserve this. Listen, we got to preserve our roots. We have to preserve the testimony of where this church started and how it's grown and what God has done over the years. And there must be the Joshua's of the congregation that are in the forefront of it. Do not underestimate the power of a sold out life. And this teaches us an important lesson that one man or one woman committed unreservedly to God and his word can make an enormous difference for the good in the lives of God's people and in the lives of God's youth. I believe that. Truly believe that. This then speaks to the older generation. Must have Joshua's. Secondly, if we're to see God move, it's we must... You, especially young people, you must wage war against the entitlement mentality. Let's look at the parable of the talents to get a sense of how this lays out. So here the Lord gives to one five talents, to one two, and the other he gave to one. We know that the one with the five talents went, visited himself, invested, he received back of the investment five more to present to his Lord. The one with two did the same thing. But we run upon this, this one that just was given one. So he's given the least, but he expects the most. Isn't that the way society's kind of shook down today? That's what the whole poverty mindset is. That's what the whole welfare mentality is. If you're on welfare, you ought to be doing everything you can to contend to get off of it. You ought to do everything you can to press in and believe God to bless you to get off of that. But let me move on to that. That wasn't in the notes. And so, so here it is in Matthew 25. Let's, let's look at the mentality of this guy with one talent. So the Lord comes and he brings him into account. Verse 24 through 30. The Lord, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there it is what you have. It's yours. But his Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew I reap where I don't sow and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, in other words, does nothing with what you have, it will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this man gets the least, does nothing with it. And then when he's brought into an account for his actions, he lashes out at the one that gave it to him in the first place. Now, there's a great insight here of this entitlement mentality that you must 
overcome if you're going to do anything for God. A couple of things. Number one is you always think you're owed more than you have. It's a handout, man. You know, the one thing about that greatest generation is they were workers. And they labored and they knew what a work ethic was. And unfortunately, a lot of that was lost in the passing on to their children. Always think you're owed more than you have. The other thing is they have no place in your life for accountability. I've known this is this is a hard one. Bringing kids into an account, there's always this lashing out. If their hearts are not right, they'll always lash out. They'll they'll blame you. They'll blame this. They'll blame that. They always, always, always have an excuse. It's never their fault. And begins to question the motive of the one that gave it to him in the first place. Does it sound familiar? Never take responsibility for their actions and attitudes. It's always someone else's fault. And you'd be amazed how many kids have blamed their parents for their own spiritual disobedience. At the end of the day, to the second generation, you have to dig your own wells. You've been given way more than we ever had. You have far more opportunities and initial blessing and foundation than we ever had. But at the end of the day, you still got to dig your own wells. You got to make it yours. Isaac inherits the land of his father, but he had to redig those wells. And there was contending for it. And this is where there's something that I see just drastically missing in today's uh, a youth movement is this ability to, to go in and, and start digging. And, and this is what happens. They'll start digging, meet opposition, uh, and just quit. But Isaac dug a well. It was taken from him. He dug another well. It was taken from him. He dug another well, and he made it his. You're going to have to dig your own wells. You're going to have to discover God for yourself. Revelation needs to be yours. The convictions need to become yours. The ministries, the, the anointing needs to become yours. Cannot live the rest of your life off the entitlements of society and of your parents. Start taking what you have and the calling God has given you. Invest it. Produce your own harvest. Your own reference points with God. And gain blessing that you paid a personal price for. And that will pass on to your children. Third thing, and finally, we're going to see God move among our youth. You must know the Lord. Religious formality is the curse of our generation. They know all the cliches. They have the religious activities down to a T. But often are missing the engine behind it all, which is a powerful relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what makes it work, folks. It isn't knowing how to do all the right things and say all the right things and, and cheer in the right places. No, no, no. It's a relationship with Christ. If you don't have that, you don't have it. And in Judges 2, it brings the sobering testimony of this generation. Chapter 2, verse 9. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim. The north side of Mount Gosh. And when all that generation that had been gathered to their fathers, then another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord 
or the work which he had done for Israel, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asterisks. A people that gave into the world, gave into the world's philosophies, followed the worldly icons. This is more of a problem than ever before because of social media. Because of social media, the problem is exemplified. So here's the curse of religion without relationship. You will corrupt and tread upon that which is sacred and holy. You will handle holy things while failing at personal holiness. And eventually, if left to yourselves, will produce a mutant version of what's been Handed to you. So this has a generational element to it. And we take that very seriously. It's not just us. But it's our children and our grandchildren. They must have. And and we, we have to contend for this. We have to believe God for this. That God, you've got to spark something among our children. And I'm obviously talking in a full, you know, this may not apply to everyone. I know there's some saved kids here. They want to do something for God. There's no doubt about that. But I'm talking about, unfortunately, a majority. So it's time to heed the words of Joshua. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the river. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to choose. Franklin Graham, and I close with this. The son of Billy Graham. Franklin Graham, born July 14th, 1952. The fourth of five children to evangelist Billy Graham. Evangelist Billy Graham just had a, an amazing ministry of impact for, for, for years and years and years. So in, in Franklin's autobiography called Rebel with a Cause, he explained that just being the son of Billy Graham won't get me to heaven. He knew that he was being called to do more with his life and to make a real commitment to God. So at age 22, after a period of rebellion and traveling the world, Franklin committed his life to Jesus Christ while alone in a hotel room in Jerusalem. That's what needs to happen tonight. For some of you, you're going to boot camp. And I know for some of you, I know, I know for sure that it's your hope that somehow God will get a hold of you. Well, he will if that's really what you want. That's really what you're seeking and going with no ulterior motive. God, you have to get a hold of me. God's going to. But it's about time that you do your own repentance before God. You're not going to heaven on your parents' commitment. And guess what? Eventually, if you keep taking for granted the blessing, it'll shrivel. It'll shrivel. I want you to bow your heads.
God's heart is for our youth. God's heart is for our young people. The world knows this. The devil knows this. Everybody's going after. That's the reason why once you get to a certain age and you're in the, you know, showbiz, as they would say, that a lot of them just get kicked to the curb because you, you're not, you don't have youth pull anymore. The ones that still have youth pull. And this is what's so ironic about Bernie Sanders, the socialistic, communistic, Democrat running against Hillary Clinton is that a lot of his votes are coming from the young generation. There's something very bewildering about that. He somehow has pull power with the youth. But that's the name of the game, man. We're certainly not willing to give up on our young people. And I, I reaffirm that to our young people all the time, eye to eye. Even when they fail and blunder horribly, you know what? We still believe that God can use your life, man. We're not giving up on them. We're not giving up on them. As parents, I know for sure you're not giving up on your kids. No matter how far they've fallen, no matter how heart-wrenching it is to have to watch your kids. For some of you, watch them fully backslidden. But you know, we're not giving up on them. But we've got to fight this fight. We cannot, we cannot take a moment to just think that it's not serious because it is. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not right with God. I mean, what, what else is there to life? Think about it. You live, you get some relationships, maybe you get married, have kids, earn some money, perhaps, whatever. Maybe even get a name for yourself, and then you die. And you face God. And then we have to give it an account for our lives. And if we didn't know Jesus Christ, we get denied entrance to heaven. That just doesn't make sense to, to go that way. There's such a wonderful hope. You know, and, and I'm not trying to say to the, the kids born in the church that because you didn't go to the world and sin and you didn't know what it was like to be in that bondage that, you know, you, you can't effectively be a witness. That is so not true. That is just a lie from hell. You don't have to have gone down that road to appreciate all that God is, because all you got to do is listen to your parents. That's all you have to do. Listen to the elders when they tell their testimonies. I don't want to go down that road. Why on earth would I want to go down that road? I have it made, but so many do. You're here today, and you're, you're backslidden, or you're not right with God, and here's this wonderful opportunity tonight to come to Jesus and start all over again, fresh, be forgiven, break the curse of of your sins, the hatred, the anger, the bitterness, the addictions that drive your life. Give them to God and see what he'll do. And you're here and that's you and you're ready to pray and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hand up right now. I want to pray with you. All across this place, God's dealing with you right now. What else is there? If you're not right and you know you're not right, lift your hand so we can pray for you. Acknowledge that in honesty, and an open-heartedness, I'm ready to get my life right with God. I'm, I'm so tired of going through the motions. I'm ready to serve Jesus. Lift your hand up. Who's that? God's dealing with you right now. Lift your hand up. You're backslidden. You're not right with God. Come to Jesus. Young people. 
You don't have to wait till boot camp to get your heart right with God. You can do it tonight. You can hear the word of the Lord that is trying to appeal to you, that is so desperately trying to get into your little world and draw you out of it. Will you repent tonight? You're ready to come to Jesus. I want you to lift your hand up very quickly. God's dealing with you. Thank you here. Thank you. Thank you. God's going to help you. Who else? You're ready. Two young people raise their hand. Who else would go on record? I'm ready to get my life. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you. God's dealing with you right now. It's time to come to Jesus right now under the conviction of God, under the dealing of God. Young people, that this sermon has painted you. You don't like it, makes you uncomfortable, but it's painted you and you realize it. And you're saying, you know, why am I going to play the game? Why am I going to go through the formalism? Why am I going to live lukewarm? I'm ready to give it to Jesus. Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you right now. God's dealing with you. Everything about the Christian life makes you uncomfortable. As long as it's in neutral ground, you feel fine. But if it it deals with open worship or telling people about Jesus or taking stands for God or or putting away the social media, oh, man, forget it. Well, you need to get your heart right. Lift your hand. God's dealing with you right now. Who's that? Thank you. Honest hearts. Who else? God's dealing with you right now. Come clean. Come straight. God's here to help you tonight. God's here to meet with you. Move on your behalf. You need that reference point. See what I'm talking about? You pull like this and assembly like this. And you'd be, a, you'd be foolish to believe that all the, the church kids sitting in here are right with God. Because I know they're not. They interact with a lot of them. But won't budge. That's, this is what we're dealing with. This is the level and the depth of what we're dealing with in the second generation that we desperately need a breakthrough. God has to move. We must break through in prayer. We must break through in relationship. Okay, you lifted your hand. You meant that, didn't you? I know you did because your hand went right up. Why don't you come up to the altar? Come right up, brother. God's going to help you. You come and pray with them and lead them in a sinner's prayer and take time to minister to them. God is going to move. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I realize I'm painting a very broad picture. I know there are kids that are living for God, serving Jesus, no doubt about it. But that does not minimalize what I'm preaching. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a syndrome that's historic. It's not just something that I'm trying to present. It's historic. It's a tendency of the second generation. You can just do your own studies on it and find it even in the secular realm. And tonight we're going to go on record that, you know, we're going to do everything we can to preserve this. God is going to help us as parents and as kids. And before we leave the service tonight, we're going to pray for the kids and we're going to believe God. Why don't we stand to our feet, come to this altar tonight, make a place. And let's cry out to God. Let's touch heaven. Lord, sin revival. God, we need another wave of an outpouring of your spirit. Lord, do again that which you've already done. You know, as parents, your your job is not over. We need Joshua's. Don't underestimate your influence. Don't underestimate your zeal. Don't underestimate your testimony. It's valuable. In all that God is doing, you may take on a different role. And certainly we 
are passing the mantle to the younger generation, but we are still going to oversee it with leadership and exampleship and still a zeal for God that is very evident. It isn't time to take a back seat and just kind of go into cruise mode till Jesus comes back. We need Joshua's. The work is not done. It is not finished. Matter of fact, it's at a crucial time. I really believe that. I do believe that God wants to bring just overwhelming revival in our youth and this generation. In spite of all the woes that we face and all the obstacles, God is bigger, but it's going to take a people that are going to press into it. It's going to take those young people that are right, and I know you're here, standing true and standing firm and not backing down and bringing in accountability not only to yourselves but to your peers. And God will use that. He'll use that righteous stand for His name. Hallelujah, Lord. Worthy, O God, worthy. Oh, God, your name is great. Your name is great. Hallelujah. You are worthy. God, visit the altars tonight. Listen to me for a minute. You know, something that has been on my heart. It's been in my heart since before conference. Matter of fact, my conference sermon was going to be initially when God's children failed. And it was going to be about backslidden children. But that's not what I preached. But I want to say something to parents that have backslidden children. And I know that this is one of the most anguishing things you have to deal with. I've been there. It is one of the most anguishing things you deal with as a parent is having a backslidden child that you did not raise them that way. I just heard that from a parent's mouth recently. I did not raise in anguish. He's pouring out. I did not raise them. I know you didn't. It's a heartache. I know. Gosh, I know. It's, it's tough. But listen to me. There's nobody that is going to pray like a parent is going to pray. And I want to, I want to give you a word tonight. If you're a parent with a backslidden child, if you have, for whatever reason, backed off a fervent prayer life for your child, you need to get back on because God wants to save them. What you're dealing with in your backslidden child, because see, for the devil to steal church kids is a real prize. It's a real prize. And he didn't let go easily. And what God showed me when I went through this in our own lives. He showed me literally in a vision. He showed me a, a demonic stronghold that was so intense. And when it faced me off, I saw it just like I'm looking at you. And God said, this is what you're dealing with. And I'll tell you what, I've never prayed so fervently and earnestly and diligently and intensely 
is when I prayed for my own daughter. I'll tell you what, God broke that stronghold. And I want to encourage you parents, don't give up. Don't stop praying for them. Your prayers, there's nobody that's going to pray like you do. Nobody. And I know it's an anguish. You look at it, my Lord, because you, you take to heart what I'm talking about tonight. You say to yourself, that's what I want for my kid. I didn't raise him that way. Well, let's believe God together. Why don't we stand at the altar? Stand right where you're at. We're going to merge this into praying for our young people. Let's just stand. Bow your heads. This sermon is not to paint a dismal picture where we all go home and depressed. I know it can be, so I want to put that on record. Look, it is simply to address what we're dealing with and give us a fresh sense of how to fight this thing. And I believe just by preaching this, I don't know which young people this is stirring and inspiring, but I know it is. And that's my hope. And we're going to pray, and what I want to do is, is we're going to pray for all. If you have any kids, and they're here, you don't have to go get your kids out of nursery, but any of your kids that are with you right now, uh, and, and if you are, um, I guess, a teenager as well. So any of you that have kids that are in the teenage, 19 and down, uh, I want you to to come and bring them to the front and come stand. Everyone else is going to just step back. You're not going to go back. You're not going to go to your seat. But everyone with kids is going to come, and especially those that are going to boot camp. We're going to lay hands. And I need Ernie to help me just so we can, we can, I want to lay hands on every forehead that we can possibly get our hands on. And uh, Brother George Rungel is going to help me, Pastor Herman. And you kind of just position yourselves, and we're going to be praying for the parents and the children. This is a fresh dedication. Listen, as parents... And we don't do it often. Sometimes we just take for granted. And it dawned on me, even last night, I gave a testimony in the edge. And I thought, you know what? You need to testify more to your kids. They need to know where you came from. They need that reference point. We're not giving our kids over to the devil. We're not forfeiting that. We're not giving into that. That's the reason why we have these children's ministries. Because we believe that we can make an impact. And this is what we're going to contend for. And let me, let me talk to those that are going to boot camp. Look, this could be your mountaintop experience. You will, if, in many of you, it's your first time going. You'll never experience something so powerful as you're going to experience this week. Because everything is stripped from you that could possibly distract you. And, and more so come Tuesday, you're going to be stripped down to nothing. You will be stripped down to absolutely nothing. You will be left so exhausted and so mind-boggled that all you can do is surrender to God. And that's the whole purpose of it. And I'm always blown away at the transformation from Tuesday morning to Friday night. It is amazing. It is absolutely astounding. And, and I tell everybody all the time, one of the hardest things I do all year is the boot camp. One of the hardest things I do all year. It's so taxing and, and fatiguing and challenging. But when that Friday night comes... I'm telling you what, everything in you is excited. We're believing God this week. that We're sending these kids it is not a punishment. If you think you're sending your kid to punishment, that's a wrong mentality. We're sending them there to go to the mountain of God. To get touched by God, ministered by God. 
I want everyone here to lift your hands. I want you to pray this prayer with me, and then we're going to lay hands. I want you to say, in the name of Jesus, I come before you. God, I freshly renew and consecrate my heart to you. God, I want more of you. Lord, I want the generations to know. God, I want what I have to be passed on. Lord, take hold of my life tonight. Afresh and anew, baptize me again in the Holy Spirit and fill me with all that you are and let it be passed on the fervor and the fire that started at Pentecost. Let it be here tonight and in my children. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Let's begin to worship God. God, anointing that would flow, anointing, uh, consecration. Oh, God, you work uh, miracle power, God. Touch tonight uh, in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord God. Move in Jesus' name. Fill them tonight. Touch them tonight, God. Oh, Lord, an anointing that would flow in Jesus' name. An anointing, God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Touch tonight, Lord. Consecrate. Anoint, Father. Set apart in Jesus' name. Touch tonight, Lord. Move in your power. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Whoa, God, right now, flow down from heaven in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, touch tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Whoa, yes. Give him worship tonight. Hallelujah. Whoa, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Worship God tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, my God and my King Most High. Worthy and holy. Fresh endowment of the Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, an encounter with the living God. Oh, God, breathe upon the assembly tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Children are mine, saints the Lord thy God. 
For the youth is mine, says the Lord thy God. Even you back children. All the children are even back sitting there mine, says the Lord thy God. For do not believe the lies of the enemies, that there is no hope in them. For I am the Lord, and I will restore a new generation, says the Lord thy God. A generation that will worship me. A generation that will say my name with boldness. For stand this day, and you will serve me faithfully, says the Lord thy God. And I will raise a new generation, says the Lord this night. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy to be praised. Oh, God, we give you praise. We give you praise. Amen. Tell you what, the Holy Mountain of God is a wonderful thing. And uh, you're going to go this week. And uh, you're going to encounter God. And you're going to come back. There's going to be a, a, a visible difference. And what you do with that from the moment you leave that camp is going to be critical. The way that you give yourself in consecration when you come back, you cannot come back. Some of you, God's going to tell you. God's going to tell you radical things you're going to get rid of and rid yourself of. And if you'll do it, the fire will continue. I remember some years back, uh, a young person went to the Tucson conference and God just laid hold of their life. I mean, fire fell. Came back and, and just was in the, in the flow in the vein of God and, and all of his friends, unfortunately, weren't. And so initially was standing strong, but, but found that every time they turned a corner, it's like he was saying, that's wrong, that's not right. And started saying, man. Is this what it's really about? That just Am I becoming too radical? That everything's... No, what it was is you were un, among such a carnal element that that's how radical being converted is. But unfortunately, he made a decision that day to back off. He's never recovered. He's never recovered. Do not take for granted what God is going to do in you because it is hard to come by a move of God. It is hard. And when you get it, don't let it go. We're going to bow our heads, dismiss the service. All week be praying for these kids at boot camp. Please be praying for them, for God's holy experience in their life. We're bowing our heads. We're dismissing. Let's have a great week. Let's believe God for good things. Uh, amen. I'm asking if, uh, if uh, my brother George Runghill would, would dismiss us tonight. Yes. Raise up a generation, a reference point, God, God and Lord. Not be ashamed of the gospel, Lord. Lord, that would perform signs, miracles, and wonders, yes. Lord. I pray, God, God, that you would prepare us for great things to come, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.